Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Never know, but this is part nine. We're at Hebrews 13, the last chapter. So as long as you guys don't get too rowdy, I should be able to finish Hebrews tonight. But you guys seem pretty rowdy for a July 5th crowd. Looks like y'all are ready to light some fireworks off. Amen. I grew up in the country, so we we, uh, loved... Someone is actually... um, a lady at our church, um, Greg and Kim Trapp's mother, I believe, gave us like a bunch of black cats when we were kids. So Greg and Kim Trapp uh, have been at our church a long time. Their daughter is over here worshiping. Um, they just got married yesterday. Oh, their anniversary was yesterday. I was there. It was the first wedding of Karis Christian Center, I think, 20 years ago or something. Was it 20 years? 21, 22? But um, I was at their, their wedding on July 4th. They love Independence Day. But Greg's mom, Karen, gave me and my brothers uh, black cats and bottle cap rockets. And, and uh, my parents didn't allow us to have a Nintendo when we were kids. So we, uh, and my mom would like walk us outside to get a break. Me and my brothers were all two years apart. So um, we, we loved these bottle cap rockets and like shooting them at each other. And, and we'd find grasshoppers and tape them to the bottle cap rockets. And, sing taps as we lit the fuse, and um, it's not that good. I probably shouldn't tell you these things. You're like, Pastor Aaron, I don't know if I can trust him as my pastor anymore. What kind of shepherd would kill a grasshopper? <clears throat> Some, someone's dinner, you know, all these woke people who don't believe in beef, and we got to eat maggots for protein, and grasshoppers, and locusts, and the church needs to awaken, not awoken. Amen. We're to be the light. So uh, anyways, I won't get too far off on that tangent tonight. Uh, Hebrews, I, I want to say a quick announcement. Um, um, Wednesday night, the last Wednesday of the month, Greg Moore will be preaching here. So I think that's the 26th. So don't miss the 26th. Greg Moore is actually one of my favorite Bible teachers, and he's going to be preaching on marriage which uh, um, I think will be awesome. I think if you're single, ready to mingle, or, or not married, ready to enjoy being not, you know, I'm enjoying my life as is, or, or married, I think it'll be a great message for anybody um, here, I'm, I'm sure. He's, he's a brilliant teacher, just a great minister, someone I, I look to, up to. I've, I've um, had a couple meals with him since I began, be, began pastoring. Um, and and he's, he's a, just a very sincere minister, and uh, he's been doing it for decades. Anyone who's been ministering for decades upon decades, I have a tremendous amount of respect for and, and always want to honor them and learn from them. All right, Hebrews 13, Jesus makes everything better. Everything is so much better with Jesus, amen? Um, verse 1, I, I was, as I was kind of preparing uh, this message, I find this kind of interesting. The, the verse right before in Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. This is a very bold statement. And then it goes right into, let brotherly love continue. You know, when, when the, the Hebrews were first reading this letter, um, I, the, there wasn't that chapter and verse break right there. They just went straight from, our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. I think that's really interesting. When, when, when you um, understand how awesome God is, you um, it's going to affect your relationship. Your vertical relationship with God will affect your horizontal relationship with other people, especially, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And um, a few months ago, Heather and I um, were having this discussion. She, um, she um, was listening um, to, to a few different ministers. She was listening to Joyce Meyer. She was listening to Mark Hankins and, and several like, very seasoned ministers. And, and they were all like, really preaching on, on something that they've really learned over decades of ministry, over decades of, of living the faith. The faith life, they, they, they had a great revelation of love. And um, I was listening to a message by Bill Johnson, and, and he um, was preaching on something else, but he, he decided to end it with um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, a few verses from the Passion Translation. And as he read it, I just realized that that was God speaking to me. And he was speaking to me on, on how to be a minister. What, what is my job description? And really, every believer is called to be a minister. We're called to minister to other people here at church. You're called to minister to your family. You're called to minister even to, to non-believers that, that might be at your place of work in your neighborhood. But as, as he was reading this, I just, I just realized God was speaking to me and said, Aaron, this is your, your job description. Just do this for decades upon decades, and that's, all, that's what you need to do. And so I'll read it to you, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, this is verse 4 through 7 from the Passion Translation. It says, love is large and incredibly patient. This is beautiful. I'm a, like, it's, it's powerful. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. So it, it's just super powerful. I, I just every time I read that, especially from the Passion Translation, it, it's just um, super powerful and very inspiring. Let brotherly love continue. And I think... Um, I personally believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. Scholars don't know for sure. There's some debate about it. But I really just feel Paul's heartbeat throughout Hebrews. This is something I want to ask God about when I get to heaven someday. Who wrote Hebrews? And um, maybe I'll just ask Paul himself and figure it out when I get to heaven. There's a lot of things I'm going to be asking people about in heaven. Can I tell you a quick joke? about heaven. Okay. I'm going to just, just pause your notes for a second. Quick joke I heard this week. It was actually maybe yesterday because it's kind of a political joke, but it's, it's a good one. All right, so a politician and a preacher both died the same day. Went to heaven. There's St. Peter at the front gate letting him in. He's like, congratulations to the politician and the preacher. You both made it in. Let me take you to where you'll be staying. We'll take the preacher to his house first. So they, they get, pull up to this little tiny shack. One one room cabin, you know, one bed, one chair, one table, just very meager. And, and Peter says, well, preacher, this is your house. Enjoy it for all eternity. They keep walking, just the politician and St. Peter. And the politician's kind of sweating. He's like wondering, man, if the preacher, if this holy man got that, like, where am I going to stay? Anyways, the, the politician and St. Peter pull up to this huge mansion just this lush gardens, flowers, gardeners outside, servants, and, and St. Peter says to this politician, all right, welcome home. This is your home for all eternity. And the politician's kind of wondering, how did I get this? And he's you know, even asked, how did I get this place? You know, there's, there's this holy man that I was just standing next to, and he got a tiny little shack. 
And I got this huge mansion. And St. Peter said, well, we have tons of preachers here in heaven, but you're the first politician we've ever had here. <laughs> oh, man. All right. God has a sense of humor. I can tell you that. God is going to laugh and joke, and he has a great sense of humor. All right, uh, verse 2, Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I love that. Always be hospitable, be compassionate. Um, really, another reason like, why I feel that Paul probably wrote Hebrews, it just flo- flows with the, a lot of his letters. He the ends of his letters, he talks about, all right, I've told you what I wanted to tell you doctrinally, theologically, and now this is how it's going to apply to your life. The application is always at the end. And um, really, the, these verses here at the start of Hebrews 13, I, I believe what Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, is saying is let Jesus change your life. Let him completely change your life. He's talking about how Jesus is so incredible, so awesome. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than, than all the priests um, from the Levitical priesthood. He, he is our great high priest. He, he is the mediator. He's the one who's made it possible for us to come boldly before that throne of grace. So now let him change your life. Your life is going to be so much better with him, letting him lead you and guide you. It's going to be so much better than you trying to do it your own way. Let him change your life. Be, be, be hospitable, be compassionate. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Oh, that Pat's here tonight. He has a jail ministry. I know he goes out and, and presents the gospel to people who, who are in prison. And um, remember these types of people um, as if you're chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. He's saying be incredibly hospitable, be compassionate. You know, Jesus was often led by compassion. And I think the compassion that he had for people, it wasn't, it, it was, uh, it wasn't just because he was Jesus and he can be compassionate and, and like only because he was Lord, he has that special kind of compassion. I think that compassion that he was tapping into, that spirit-led compassion, it, it's something that, that, that he was led in as a man that we can be led in as, as flesh and blood people as well, that supernatural compassion that leads us to to pray for certain people, to, to minister to certain people. And, um, and um, man, um, be, be, ask God for that sense of compassion just in your, in your day-to-day life, and you'll be amazed at what he does in that and through that. He was led by compassion. Verse 4, uh, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. He's saying sexual purity, it's a must. And I was t- I'm going to keep this kind of brief, but I'm, um, I was actually talking to um, an older lady at our church. She, she, um, she uh, is actually getting married um, soon. She's been at this church for 10 years. And um, when she was talking to me um, about, about um, her getting engaged, uh, she, she actually um, um, has, has a background from Bible college. So she, she said, someone asked me to marry him. And I thought, I thought someone was asking her to like, perform the wedding. So she was talking about this for like two or three minutes, and I was just very confused. I'm like, why do you care so much about this person that you're going to marry? You know, as a, as a minister, I'm going to, you know, do your vows. And, and then it dawned on me, like I saw her ring and, and realized, oh, she's getting married. And, and oh, he asked you to marry him. And uh, anyways, that's, that's what a doctorate from 
Rice University has gotten me. <laughs> this level of intellect. And uh, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. But, but she, she actually um, just went to, to France recently, and um, um, her son lives in France. And, and um, she's just talking about people she talked to in France and just how, how shocked they are that, that uh, she, she hasn't had intimacy with this person. And, and, uh, and, um, and the way they talk about it, it's, it's just a very biological thing. It's just, um, but, but it's not just, bio, yes, it's biological. It's also psychological. But it's, it's spiritual as well. You know, this, this type of intimacy, it's a sacred thing. It's sacred, and it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a spiritual bond between a man and a woman that is meant only for the covenant relationship of marriage. We talked about covenant some a few weeks ago, but covenant's a very special word. And um, it's, 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 a, it's a word that God uses about his relationship with us. And Jesus is this high priest of a new and a better covenant. A covenant just isn't a contract. It's just not a promise. It's actually, it, there's something very sacred about it, something very spiritual about it. It's not just... It's actually, it's, it's, it's based upon who you are. Like, I, I, am, I am entering this covenant because this, I, I am giving myself to you. I'm not going to change. And that's why God can make a covenant with us through Jesus, because Jesus never changes. And this type of bond, um, scripturally, it's, it's, it's for a man and a woman for the covenant relationship of marriage. Amen? Um, what will go on here in verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Um, I kind of had this light bulb moment when I was thinking about covetousness. And um, covetousness isn't just desiring something that's that, that maybe someone next to you might have. It's okay to, 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 to see like someone that you love, maybe they, they, they got a certain job that you value or they, they entered, like maybe you're single and your close friend, you got married, you, you, you value that, you want that for yourself. Um, covetousness is different than desiring something. Covetousness is desiring something that the other person has while being unthankful for what you have. The root of covetousness is unthankfulness. So you can say, hey, I love, I love that house that you know, my family member has. It's a great, big, beautiful house. I'd like to have a house like that someday. You know, if God did it for them, he can do it for me. Um, you, you, can, you can appreciate that, but if you're unthankful for what God's given you, you might have something less, but if you're unthankful, that, that's covetousness. Does that make sense? So I, I, I wanted to get married at a younger age. I didn't get married until I was 31, but both my younger brothers got married before me. You know, I saw them get married, you know, enter the workforce, have homes, have kids. And, and a little, I felt like a little bit left out, a little bit like I was lagging, but God always saves the best for last. And, um, but, but I... I God showed me I need to, to be very thankful for them, grateful that they are getting these things. You know, praise God for that. And I can still desire it as well without becoming like bitter and unthankful and ungrateful for my stage of life. Does that make sense? It's the, so it's not, if you see something, someone has a nice vehicle or, or 
a job that you might like to attain to, or it's, it's okay to like that, but if, if it's attached to like ungratefulness and unthankfulness and why do they have that and I don't type of thing, that, that's where it, it goes down a very bad turn and it's, it's, it's hard for God to bless you in that state. Does that make sense? And, um, and I, I kind of realized that from the scripture here that um, you shouldn't have covetousness and, and, and the way you don't get into covetousness is to, to have this type of godly contentment at the same time. That godly contentment at the same time where you're thankful, thankful for what God has done for you. Amen. The things that he has given you, you always have to look at what you have. I, 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 I've done a couple messages on miracles of provision, and they often start with what you have. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your hand? There's 5,000 people to feed, but, well, what do you have? It starts with what you have, and then thanking God for for what he's given you and setting your hand to what he has given you. Does that make sense? It's not, well, if I just had what he had and I set my hand to that, then I'd be blessed. No, it's what you have, what God has given you, and be thankful for that and realize that God is not going to forsake you. Amen? He's never left us. He's not going to forsake you. And we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me. Verse 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. You know, as believers, we should, we should be very respectful people. You know, um, there's actually a, I think it's, 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 it's part of the kingdom of darkness, this, this type of um, just entitlement and disrespect, that, that, that just attitude of disrespect um, that's really plaguing a lot of the world today. Um, it's very ungodly. We should always be respectful, especially of people who, are, who God has placed in our lives as, as spiritual authority. And um, uh, something that God has shown me, too, is just I need to remember people who've dedicated their lives to preaching, to living, to ministering the gospel. Amen. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm very thankful for what my parents have done. You know, I, I woke up this morning... Heather gets up before me. She usually gets up at 5 a.m. She's a very early riser. I'll get up at 6 or so. And she, she told me, you know, I, I just felt led to um, write a thank you card to Andrew and Jamie Womack and put $300 cash in it and send it to them. And, and uh, just um, for the decades of, of ministry and how they started out and that they were just faithful no matter what. And um, I think that's a very beautiful thing. You know, if people have invested in your life to, to, to appreciate them, to honor them, and, and also to, to thank them. And um, to thank someone, you have to do it with your words. You can't just, yeah, you can't just telepathically, I'm so thankful for you. Like, I'm so thankful that Michelle led worship tonight. And I'm just going to telepathically, you know, hope that she understands that I'm glad that she prepared the band and sung these songs. And, you know, thank someone. Uh, thankfulness is super, super powerful. So let Jesus change your life. Amen? Let him just impact you. And these are great ways for him to impact you. Um, the next point I have for you, it's super, super powerful. And, and again, it was another like light bulb moment for me as I was studying Hebrews again. This is probably the, the 50th time I've read through Hebrews. I, I love Hebrews. But um, verse 8 and verse 9 are tied together. 
We quote verse 8 on its own all the time, but it's really tied to verse 9. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines. If a church preaches that, that, that the Holy Spirit has changed, that Jesus has changed, that the Bible has changed, that this stuff isn't for today, that is a strange doctrine. Does that make sense? Like if Jesus was a healer then, but he's not a healer now, strange doctrine. Jesus, sure, he provided then, but he doesn't provide for now. Now he wants you to be poor. Strange doctrine. You know, sure, Jesus gave his disciples then the authority to cast out demons, but today we just have to accept demons and, and just let them control our school systems and our government. And We shouldn't live as those who have authority and power. And that's, a, that's a strange doctrine. And don't get carried away with it because it's going to lead down a bad path. If Jesus can somehow change, if you, if you worship this kaleidoscope Jesus that you never really know how he looks, what color, it's just a mirage of... You're, you're going to have a, a very poor foundation. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Verse 8 is, is concrete to our faith. And if, if Jesus can somehow change over time, he can somehow change, you know, based upon what century you're living in, Jesus can somehow change based upon what the cultural norm considering marriage is. Jesus can somehow change based upon who's in office or based upon who on the Supreme Court votes a certain way. If, if Jesus can somehow change, your foundation has massive cracks in it and your house will not stand. You don't want your foundation to move. If Jesus is your foundation and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if the Bible says it, that settles it, you will not be moved. Jesus is Lord. Amen? I read a statistic that, uh, by an article that Eric Metaxas wrote a few years ago that 50% of evangelicals think you can get to heaven apart from Jesus. Just if you're a good person, it doesn't really matter what you believe in, what you think, who you worship. 50% of so-called evangelicals, and, and by definition, evangelicals believe in the Bible. I, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't really know where that house is going, but it's not going in a good direction. You know, um, here in Carter Springs, um, you, you want to buy a house with a good foundation. You know, my, my parents have lived on the west side of town. We, we, we lived um, in the bluffs next to Cheyenne Mountain, and there, there were homes that had cracks and, you know, floors that were slanted down eight inches. You know, we, we, we bought a good home that, that stood pretty firm, but a, a house down the street, it was actually uh, after a, a period of, of a lot of intense raining the ground kind of changed and there's a ravine behind our, our neighborhood and one house dropped two feet. Just dropped two feet. A, a nice, beautiful home just dropped two feet and it was actually um, condemned. Several homes that kind of thing happened to in, in, in a period where, where there's a lot of rain and it uh, messed with a lot of the, the ground. Um, I, I don't want to be in that place um, theologically. Amen? You're always better off just believing what the Bible says. Yeah. 
and taking it for exactly what it says. So don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. I love this. I love that we have a very firm grace foundation here at this church. Let the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. He's saying there are people that are very occupied with aspects of the law. Someone even emailed the church yesterday like, the, like I'm going to reply to them tomorrow when I have time to reply. But they're, they're, they, I think they heard the grace message preached for the first time. They're, they're, they were asking, so can I eat pork and you know, shrimp and these types of things? I don't know where they've been going to church or what, you know. But I'm going I'm to reply in a very gentle, pastoral, shepherding way. But um, um, your heart needs to be established by grace, not, with food, not, not in legalism. The heart must be established in grace, not in legalism. Amen. Amen. This, is, this is really good stuff. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest, the animal, animal, animal in the Old Testament would be slaughtered outside and the blood would be brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin. These animals, they're, they're burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. Calvary was outside the gate. It was outside the walls of Jerusalem. It says, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. So we're to, to go outside of the camp. We're to go outside of the church walls and, and, and present Jesus to people wherever they are at. Does that make sense? Church, I, church is so valuable. A church like this that is just full of faith, full of the power of God, I, I think people need to come to church often, frequently, weekly, at least a few times a month to just have your fire lit up and then you go out to whatever frontier you're, you're posted at. As a saint, as a minister, that, that might be your job at Walmart, your job at the school, your job at the, the doctor's office, you know, your job being a mom, your job being a dad, your job you know, volunteering at your kid's school. You, you are to go carry that light and, and wherever you go to throughout the week, you, you are on the frontier. Something I love about Colorado, this, this, is, this was a frontier state. You know, the Purdue's have been in Colorado since before Colorado was a state in 1876. You, know, you can still see there, there were military outposts. There's, there's various forts out here in Colorado. I saw, I saw an interesting map. I should, should have showed this to Heather. Heather loves, loves you know, football, college football, and it was a map of all the um, Division I schools in the country. And, and there's just tons of them on the east, northeast, Middle East, Southeast, just, just all, the, all the logos for these schools are there's just, just tons of them. But as you go west, there's just two or three in each state, maybe one, maybe nine. Like, we're still very much a frontier type place. That's why I wear boots. I can wear boots here. You know, the rodeo's next week. And um, man, we, this, this is a great frontier for believers. There, there are a lot of places where you can be set up a fort for Jesus, amen? But come back and get refueled frequently. You need it, amen? That was a good word right there too. 
So Jesus, you know, these verses here that I just went over, um, Jesus, he is our altar now. He is, he is our, where we worship. He, he sanctified us with his own blood. And now he's the one, as the great high priest, he actually brings, he, he sanctifies us as priests. This is kind of cool to think about. Jesus is the high priest, but he also shed his own blood. But he's the one now as the high priest that ushers us into the Holy of Holies. But if you to go into the Holy of Holies, you can't go in without blood, right? In the, in the Old Covenant, which is a picture, a type and a shadow of things to come, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies one day out of the year uh, on the Day of Atonement. Only one, and he couldn't go without blood. Even if he thought he lived perfectly that year, everything he had done, he could not do it. Because no one is perfect, period. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he would take blood with him to go into the Holy of Holies. For us to go into the Holy of Holies, to go into God's presence, to enter heaven for eternity, you cannot do it without the shedding of blood. You cannot do it without Jesus. Theologically, you cannot get to the Father apart from Jesus. This is, this is basic New Covenant doctrine, which 50% of the American church does not understand or know. Like, the shedding of his blood is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal because we know it's a big deal because what God was willing to pay for us to be able to, to come as clean, as holy, as saints, as his sons, as his daughters. Amen? So he's, he, he is our altar. He sanctified us with his own blood, and he brings us into the presence of God. Verse 14, I love this. We have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. This earth is not our home. Don't get too comfortable. I like that it says we have no continuing city. You know, this earth has an expiration date. It's funny, the people that don't believe in heaven are, are the most concerned about the expiration date of this earth. This earth will somehow go away. The Bible says it's going to go away. I don't think it's going to be global warming, personally. I don't think it's going to be a nuke. I don't think it's... This earth will go away, and um, I'm not worried about it. You know, while we're here, we should take care of our planet. We should, you know, not blow the place up and, and you know, try to live peaceably. And, and, um, but I know, I know there's a better home for me, a place that does continue. Amen? Heaven is so much better. You know, the thing that makes something home is that everything there is better. When, you know, if you, if you don't feel at home, it's because another place feels better to you. When I was in college, you know, when I first went to college in Pittsburgh, it didn't feel like home to me, you know, because here everything was better. I loved coming home. I love that, you know, the food is better here. My room was better. The climate's better here. The, I realize in Pittsburgh you don't see the sun for six months straight through all, all of winter. It snows, you know, one time in November and, and it just doesn't go away. It just melts and then turns, you know, that foot of snow, it turns into ice, it melts, and you have a foot of just black ice and just never really goes away. And um, it's just, just gray because the sun never comes out to melt it. But, but this world is not our home. There's something much better for us. And, and when we get there, we're going to realize, oh, this is home. 
This is what Jesus was talking about. Hey, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and it's going to be better. Like many mansions, better. You think you had a nice place there. You thought, you know, just wait till you get to heaven. Just everything, everything will be better. You know, I, I need to read this book. Heather just bought it for me. It's by Randy Alcorn about heaven. But um, she was married before me, and her husband of seven years passed away, and she moved here as a widow with her four-year-old son. That's when we met and um, dated a year and got married. And, and when we got married, Fisher was five, just going into kindergarten. And he, he was kind of at the age where he could process that his, you know, his previous father, his biological father, had passed away. And, and he asked actually very deep questions about heaven, like deeper questions than I've ever thought about. Kids, kids are much more in tune than a lot of adults are. And um, they still have that imaginative side of their brain. But, so we had a lot of conversations about heaven, and I arrived to a few conclusions. The number one being that everything is better in heaven. The food will taste better. The music will sound better. The colors will somehow be better. Like we have Roy G. Biv here. Like God is going to have a whole new spectrum of colors to work with in heaven. I don't understand how it's going to be. I believe that in heaven that there, the, that there will be a type of matter. We will have a physical body, but it will be a different type of matter than here. Somehow, like this matter for, for, for us, it'll be different. It won't be able to be destroyed. It's going to be better. Um, matter will be better. Um, some of you who like sci-fi concepts can think about that and write me a big article or a movie about it and explain to me what you think I mean by that. But, but I think matter will be better. It won't be able to dissolve like this earth will soon one day dissolve. Um, you're going to look better in heaven. Some of you look good now. Some of you can use a little help. But in heaven, <laughs> you're going to look better. You're even going to smell better. Just everything in heaven will be better. And the best thing about heaven is going to be this, it's that Jesus is there. And you get to be with him for all eternity. Verse 15, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. I love that we are to continually do this. You know, like we, we don't continually sacrifice goats and heifers, but, but we are to do when you read about the continual sacrifices in the Old Testament, this relates to us. It's a type and shadow of what we can do now. We can continually offer sacrifice. We can continually offer praise. We can continually offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is a, a better I'm glad I can be a living sacrifice. Amen? I don't have to be a dead sacrifice. This is, this is something better about the new covenant. And here, verse 16 through 19, a couple uh, just more pointers, um, which I think uh, is just basic, kind of basic Christianity here. Um, verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, um, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And this is really, like, we should have a great... Um, attitude towards people in spiritual authority, people who are godly, who, who are called by God, who you feel you can trust. You want to 
come under their, their leadership, um, we, should, we should want them to be able to do their jobs with joy. I kind of thought about that, you know. I, I'm kind of in this weird predicament where my pastor is my dad, and he's also my boss, and, and um, it's like this triune relationship. He's my dad, he's my boss, he's my pastor. Like, how do you, how do you? And we, we have a, a great relationship. And uh, I, I want to give my dad joy. I want him to think about me as his employee, as his son, as someone that he pastors in the faith. I want him to think about me in all three years and say, he gives me joy. And I am like so, so incredibly thankful to be a pastor here at Caris Christian Center. There are very few people, very few times that someone gives me grief. And um, every single person I'm looking at tonight, every single one of you give me tremendous joy. And I am so thankful for this job, so thankful that I can do this. I can preach the gospel, I can work with people, I can live for God, and it, it's such a, a beautiful, powerful thing. And, and I just have so much joy doing this. And my joy just increases more and more every day. And um, I love it, and I love you all for it. So thank you for being a part of this church, everyone here, everyone online as well. And um, I, I, I love this place. It is a very, very special, very sacred place. And um, you know, there's, there's also a, a word in here for ministers as well that, that we will have to give account for people that we have shepherded. So that's a very powerful statement as well. Um, so pray for us. Pray for, pray for your pastors. Pray for you know, the staff people here that you work with. Pray for other, other um, Bible teachers that you really value that, that invest into your life. Pray for, pray for us. And we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. And um, my last statement on these last few verses is this, is that you just need to keep letting Jesus work in you and through you. Jesus, he's not done with you yet. As long as you're on this earth, he, he still has a job to do in you and through you. Keep letting him work in you and through you. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. I love that. He is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Amen. And through the blood of the everlasting covenant. I love, I love that here in Hebrews we see that word everlasting, our everlasting salvation, our everlasting covenant. This new covenant, it's an everlasting. There isn't going to be a, another covenant after this one. This is actually an eternal covenant that we have now with Jesus, that we're always going to be able to go into the Father's presence for all eternity because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is still going to be speaking in heaven for all eternity. Jesus is still going to have, he's going to be, his scars will be the only scars in heaven. And there, there will be an eternal reminder of that eternal sacrifice so we could have an eternal home with him. 
an everlasting covenant. May he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. I have preached a, a few sermons from Hebrews. I, it's very few, very small series. I think he says, bear with this word of exhortation. And God spoke this to me as I thought about verse 22. Is If you stick with the word, keep sticking with the word, keep believing it, keep, keep trusting in Jesus, keep trusting in every promise of God, stick with it. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be built up. You're going to continue to grow more than you thought it was possible. And this is one of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite preachers named Dr. Aaron Perdue. And it's this, 100% of the time, you are always better off believing the word than not. 100% of the time. That is, what, that is the, one of the number one reasons why I am happy and excited to be a preacher of the full gospel and believe the Bible, every word, just make it be my foundation because I, I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt with everything in my heart, everything that I've observed in people's lives that you are 100% of the time better off believing the word than not. And I really believe this, this is so true. Isaiah 55, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Stick with the word. Amen. Verse 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free. Paul knew Timothy as well. They were close. I feel, I'll know when I get to heaven. Verse 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all. And I love the Greek word for grace, which is charis. Some people have come here for several months and say charis. It's charis Christian Center. It is a powerful word. It is the Greek word for grace. And I love this definition of charis. It is especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. It's God's influence on your heart and it's also reflected in your life. Amen. Grace be with you all. Amen. So in conclusion, Jesus makes everything better. To him alone be the glory and the power forever and ever. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.charischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.